We're gonna be alright I wanna see you fly Come on, let's go Let's go with grace Hi, and welcome to the Soul Force Podcast, Go With Grace, responding to white Christian supremacy with resistance and resilience. On this podcast, we ask the question, what is white Christian supremacy, and how does it show up in our daily lives? This week, I wanted to talk about how faith, especially Christian faith, intersects with reproductive rights. You might have only heard about the abortion debate oversimplified into a pro-life and pro-choice argument, but I wanted to expand this definition into what advocates call reproductive justice. This, of course, includes access to abortion, but it also encompasses so much more than that. It's the idea that every person deserves to have access to the health care they need to make whatever decision they think is right for them, whether it's abortion or carrying a pregnancy to term or preventing an unwanted pregnancy. I had the pleasure of speaking with Tara Romano, the executive director of Pro-Choice North Carolina, a statewide organization that advocates for policies and social supports around reproductive rights. We talked about the assumption that people of faith are automatically against abortion, against reproductive justice, how white Christian supremacy uses that assumption to its advantage, and how important it is to make connections to help people understand their own values when it comes to this really heated and politicized topic. We had a really great conversation where we attempt to address a lot of the nuance that gets left out of the pro-life, pro-choice conversation. At the core of it all is empathy and an encouragement to think critically about your own values and how they might align with your faith, your faith practice or not. As a trans masculine presenting person who is also adopted, reproductive justice is important to me because I believe in bodily autonomy and forcing a person to carry a baby to term when they don't want to has giant repercussions which are always conveniently left out of the pro-life argument. When people say pro-life, I think we really need to interrogate what that means. What about the impact of the life of the pregnant person? Tara and I talk about that briefly. What if the birth parent and baby are impacted by poverty? What if the baby grows up to identify as queer or trans? Where will all the outspoken pro-life advocates be then? Tara also offers some really great framing around using the language of anti-abortion rather than pro-life. Considering all the ways the pro-life advocates do not support life when life doesn't match their ideals of a worthy human, Working class, black, indigenous, people of color, queer, trans, and disabled folks, for example. I think it's really important that we be clear about the language we use. I also just don't think there should be a moral judgment on someone trying to make a decision that's best for them and their life circumstances. A quick thought on saying that babies can just be given up for adoption after birth. As an adoptee, I find this thought incredibly flat and harmful. 
as if babies can just be bartered and tossed around and there's no impact on the birthing parent or family or the child itself as it grows into adulthood. There's just a lot more to think about. I'm gonna have a full episode on this topic this season, I promise. But to simplify any of these really complex issues thwarts any chances we might have of finding a solution and finding healing. And that's what we're looking for. At any rate, thanks so much again for tuning in. I hope you enjoy our conversation. My name is Tara Romano. I use she and her pronouns, and I'm the executive director at Pro Choice North Carolina, which is a statewide advocacy organization um, that advocates for policies and societal supports that make sure people have what they need to support them, no matter what reproductive health care decisions they make, which includes uh, preventing an unplanned pregnancy, terminating a pregnancy if they choose to do so, or carrying a pregnancy safely to term. There's this sort of assumed contradiction that being a person of faith and supporting reproductive rights, that those things don't go together. Can you say a little bit more about that? Sure. I mean, one of the false narratives out there about abortion access, just a false narrative in general, is that to be religious and specifically to be Christian is to be anti-abortion, which is not true. I mean, just we've seen data on it, but also just um, thinking about like the numbers that we know, like the strong majority of people in this country, whatever they feel personally about abortion, um, believe that they can't make that decision for others and that it should remain legal. And that includes like the this deep South states, the so-called red states. There's no state where overturning Roe is a popular opinion. Mm-hmm. So you've already got the majority of people in this country support abortion access. They support the legal right to abortion. And then, of course, you also have the majority of people in this country subscribe to some faith belief um, or, you know, part of a faith community. So right there, like, that means that you have people of faith who do support abortion access. And it really is um, a majority opinion among people of faith as well as among people of no faith. You know, I just feel like people, we have a narrative, and those narratives are powerful, which is like, oh, people who are religious don't like abortion, you know, and we're evenly divided. And we're just going to, you know, I can't really challenge somebody when they say they're anti-abortion because that's their deeply held religious belief. I'm like, well, yes, they may have deeply held beliefs, but like you can talk about it, you know, mm-hmm. and you can like, that's the whole point. Um, mm-hmm. And they certainly will talk to you about their beliefs. You know, we, we work with people of faith who talk about their faith and why that their faith compels them to support abortion access um, and to support the right of people to access the reproductive health care that we need. Um, I mean, one thing I think with this false narrative is it really does support the anti-abortion folks because you see like people who want to use conservative Christianity, you know, to uphold white supremacy um, and to be used as a way of a force for reproductive oppression. Like they sort of run with this false narrative because it it can, they feel like it can shield them from criticism um, or from people pushing back against, like, we actually think that this is oppressive to tell people that they can't access this type of reproductive health care. And so you see how it can be used and misused um, under, like, the guise of religious freedom to be up, upholding this minority um, viewpoint. Um, it just allows them sort of to use it improperly as a shield. I have heard you say before that instead of saying pro-life 
at pro-choice NC, y'all say anti-choice for the for mm-hmm. the people in opposition. Can right. you talk a little bit more about that framing, the use of that language of anti-choice versus pro-life? Sure. Um, I mean, the pro-life label, I, I'm guessing, was when the anti-abortion folks you know, chose for themselves, you know, and they chose it with an eye towards, you know, kind of obfuscating like the real intent, which is to stop people from making these personal decisions. So taking that pro-life term as a way of like then sort of trying to paint their opposition, which are people who support access to reproductive health care, you know, trying to say that they're anti-life, which that's really not very meaningful. Like we're not anti-life and I don't think anyone if they really looked at it, would agree with that either. Also um, very flat. I mean, we yeah. also like, one of the things I think is uh, people who support abortion access um, in particular are thinking also about the life of the pregnant person. Mm-hmm. And that is something that definitely like the anti-abortion folks absolutely want to erase their lives, their experiences, their feelings, like what they're working through in their own life. You know, and we value that. And I think the anti-abortion folks just like they, they are again, like even with the narrative they use around like pro-life, but then ignoring the life of the pregnant person is another way of like how they're showing how they believe in hierarchies, right? And that certain lives are more important than others. And you know, with the anti-abortion description, like it's just a clear description of what they're about. You know, some of these right. folks who are part of anti-abortion may support things that indicate like, you know, maybe they support like good uh, humane immigration policies or making sure that we accept refugees or protecting kids from guns and violence in schools. Like they may protect the, they support those other things that would also be part of like supporting people's lives. Right. Essentially they, fear mongering is one of their tactics. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately it's really effective. It's a really strong tactic and it automatically cuts off people from even thinking about questioning their Mm -hmm. faith. Right. And what you were saying about the the pregnant person's life. You yeah. Know, that's um, I mean, always that's, disregarded. You know, and I think, you know, the anti-abortion folks understand, like, people really do have compassion and empathy when they hear people's stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's why the anti-abortion folks have been so intent on erasing the pregnant person from there, to just pretend that that person isn't even there. Um, because then it allows them to tell a narrative that paints that person making that choice to terminate a pregnancy in what they believe is that person, even though it's a heck of a lot more complicated than that. Right, right. This is sort of an attempt to connect the dots. We talk a lot about like the underlying ideology of things. Mm -hmm. And so Christian supremacy in particular is just loaded with these contradictions around uh, don't judge. Mm -hmm. And yet, I think is there's like these foundational judgments, these values of worthy and unworthy mm-hmm. um, around human life. And, and so I think we see like a judgment on a person uh, who has, who is forced to make a decision whether to, mm-hmm. to carry a baby. And then that extends what we're seeing now, I feel like is then into criminalization or other more legal repercussions. It really stems from that judgment. That's a connection we're, we're trying to make as well. Right, and helping people understand like, you know, because there are people of faith, of all different faiths who support abortion access, then that right there challenges this idea that to be anti, to be 
a Christian or another type of faith means you must be anti-abortion. And I think, you know, and it's it's worth trying to help people understand, like people of faith access abortion, um, you know, and mm-hmm. and I think when people try to use somebody's faith against them to shame them for decisions that they felt was best for their lives, um, you know, that really just does a disservice to to the teachings of that faith. And I think what we want folks to understand is like people have complicated feelings about abortion. Just like they have complicated feelings about a lot of things. Right. And people who get abortions have complicated feelings. Right. It's it's so <laughs> yeah. flat to be like yeah. it's just a, like a heartless, easy decision yeah. when it's like probably one of the most difficult decisions a person can make. Yeah, for some people it is. And for others, like I think also helping people right. understand like it is a lot of it is it's just like it can be that moment of you thinking about what it could be like, which is the same as like, you know, potentially like if I'm getting a divorce, like you're always going to have these thoughts of like, what what if I take this other path? It's really exciting that y'all have worked with folks mm-hmm. of faith before. Yeah. Uh, what what has that experience been like? So working with faith communities has been, um, I mean, it's just been a wonderful experience of like talking about like how people frame these different beliefs and their way of wanting to support people accessing abortion, you know, with the values that come from their faith and like how that is a really deeply held belief that they have and how we can approach the issue, like not with sort of one size fits all talking points, but like helping to embrace what values people have, the values that they get from their faith community and how they can talk about this issue in a way that that is, um, you know, in concert with those values. And so I think working with different faith communities has allowed us to sort of broaden the discussion in ways that it needs to be broadened. It has really been, I mean, this, the so-called abortion debate has really been flattened out mm-hmm. by our media and I, and that flattening out helps the anti-abortion folks. Right. So we, we really strongly like to differentiate between Christianity and Christian mm-hmm. supremacy. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm hearing is your experience with people of faith is that is actually their faith values that tell them to support reproductive justice. And that's definitely a narrative that gets dismissed and is not uplifted. I really hope we can find ways to uplift Mm -hmm. that. And, and then of course, we always try to, we always try to identify and expose what are the ways uh, that white Christian supremacy is really deployed for the anti-abortion movement. Mm -hmm. What ways do you perceive that happening? I mean, I think the white supremacist movement and anti-abortion movement are very closely linked. And I Mm -hmm. think we're starting to see like being in this time of sort of like a resurgent and open call to white supremacy um, that is being normalized. You can, I think start to see more of the connections of how like the anti-abortion movement is really a key part of the white supremacist movement. You know, we're living in this time in this country, like a real demographic change. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's always been a threat to white supremacy and to minority rule. Um, You know, and there are a lot of people, particularly women of color who have documented like throughout our history, like when the white power structure was reacting to these types of threats, like, you know, during reconstruction, during different waves of immigration, um, during desegregation. And you saw like part of 
those that backlash um, to changing this fear of changing demographics and this fear of these these threats to the white supremacist power structure. Yeah, you saw different attempts to control reproductive lives of both white women and women of color and indigenous women and people who get pregnant. And you saw like those attempts as part of all this backlash, right? Like for white women, the idea was like making sure that they didn't have any say whether or not they got pregnant and gave birth. And similar to that with really actually um, people of color and indigenous populations as well. Like when you had, you know, of course, North Carolina has a long history of forced sterilizations. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, things are, you know, mass incarceration, family separation via deportations, punitive child welfare laws, and, you know, lack of access, honestly, to quality health care for people who need prenatal care and pregnancy care um, and postpartum care. Like these are all ways that contribute to how there's reproductive oppression experienced in different parts of our society. I mean, people have access to abortion prior to it being legal. Um, and they've been accessing abortion as long as people can be getting pregnant. There are things that we can do to make sure that people getting the access they need. And like right now, of course, like overturning Roe would mean it's not a federal law. It wouldn't be a federal law that says you can't have abortion in the country. It would just say the states have a right to regulate it and they don't have to make it legal. Um, okay. So you would have 26 states that would immediately ban abortion. And so one of the things we want to do is be able to help those folks get where they need. I mean, it's not sustainable for sure. Like having to travel across state lines. Um, and that's where we see the disproportionate impact right. on communities of color. Absolutely. Yeah. And communities, people with low income right. and immigrant communities, rural communities already, even if they don't have to cross state lines, but they still have to drive to the next big city. Right. I feel like that's like the other really hard part about all this stuff is like, we don't want to be fear mongering because- Yeah, absolutely. I don't want to fear monger for sure. Yeah. And it's like, uh, <laughs> we kind of got to get it together, y'all. You know, I mean, yeah. it's fear, like I find it disempowering to folks mm-hmm. when we fear monger. Um, right. I mean, but you want to be able to have people be clear eyed about what we're facing though. Like mm-hmm. that you can't face things if you don't name them. I always think back on like people have been getting abortions oftentimes, you know, in the recent history in this country when it was illegal. Um, now we want to make sure it's safer than it was then. And I think there's ways um, that it has been made safer, but also like there's communities that have always provided abortion care and it wasn't necessarily like talked about that way. Like it just was, right. it was care, you know, like what they call like old wives tales, you know, like, yeah. but it's just, you know, the idea like, you had midwives, you had traditional healers who who did these things within the communities. And of course you wanna make sure people have care that is, I'm not saying that all of that is care that will be um, effective for everyone. Mm-hmm. And you know, you wanna make sure that we have that, that good balance, but also not ignore that there are communities that have passed down traditions around a lot of stuff, not just abortion, but birth control and other things, um, and also pregnancy care. And yeah, I think about how that was probably a lot of that was dismissed and disparaged because of who was providing it, which was women and particularly women of color. And so then it got disparaged as like, well, this isn't real medicine. The white supremacist movement is about cementing the power structure, right? The power structure that says white, heterosexual, Christian male is the top of the hierarchy and everyone else fits in somewhere below that. Um, And so, the anti-abortion movement and reproductive oppression is part of ensuring that we 
keep this dominant um, hierarchy that is so important to the white supremacist movement. Wow, that's a great breakdown. <laughs> Thank you. Truly, I mean, it's really it's hard to make these connections. It's really important for people to know the expansiveness of reproductive justice and all of the different facets of our life and our society that are connected um, to reproductive justice because most people think only abortions but it it extends into all of the things you just mentioned all aspects of life and i think a lot of it has also just helping you know always keeping empathy at the heart of it it's more than just one person like it has to do with like how we protect each other and you know if that can feel important to some folks and then you know when it comes to pregnancy like people are just really trying to do what they feel is right for them at that moment which may not be the decision they would make the next time and you know making decisions based on not having all the information which is like i don't know maybe i don't know what my life is gonna be like in five years you know approaching people from a place of caring and wanting to support what they feel like they need Um, yeah Hmm. But, you know, I, I have my thoughts too about how some folks have weaponized religion to allow them to judge. Um, like whenever sometimes I hear sometimes the same, you know, it's not for me to judge, that's God, for God to judge. I'm like, but it sounds like you're judging. <laughs> um, that's great. <laughs> Didn't know God was here right now. Yeah, it's absolutely a pass. It's absolutely like my faith dictates this and i have no choice which is 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 really a kind of astounding mind tricks you know to convince people out of out of their autonomy i mean and also in some ways to like ignore their own experience mm-hmm. you know and listen to the story and i think does that story speak to you like is that how your life is you're being told to ignore what you're experiencing yeah. You know, in terms of like the economy and your access to healthcare and your access to resources for this narrative that doesn't really describe your life. And I think that's the insidiousness of white supremacy um, mm-hmm. is how it convinces people to ignore their own their own lives um, in service to this lab that really has nothing to do with them. And reinforced harmful Christian rhetoric. Yeah, you know, and I realize we're speaking very generally about certain types of Christianity and that there's other types of Christianity that are much more open and welcoming and forgiving and reductive and that kind of stuff, so. Yeah, we try to make sure to point that out too. Can you say a little bit more about what got you into this work? I've been at Pro-Choice North Carolina since 2016. Um, and then prior to doing that, I've been doing movement work, either providing some direct services or doing advocacy for about two decades in North Carolina. I do this work because I firmly believe that we can make a change and that we can build the world that we imagine, um, where justice, equality, safety, uh, equity is there for all of us. I believe that it takes all of us, that we all have different strengths, perspectives, and skills that we can bring to this movement and that we need to do it with all of us. I also really believe that our fates are all bound up together and that we will never get to the world that we imagine where everyone is has safety and security and equality if we're leaving any of us behind. So I really believe that our fates are bound together and that that is what inspires me to keep doing this work because 
it can feel really disempowering sometimes when it feels like we're always reacting and not making progress, but I know that we can make progress. That's what keeps me going in this work. Coincidentally, in Soul Force, we also talk about an ethic of life mm-hmm. and we support the things that are life giving. Mm-hmm. And if there is a faith or a faith practice that is death dealing, then we we don't support those things or we don't applaud them or that's not a part of uh, at least our constellation of, of faith beliefs. Well, thanks so much for your time and chatting with me today. Thank you so much for having me on. It's really been great talking with you. interested in delving deeper into what the Bible has to say about reproductive justice, Soulforce has some fantastic resources available. They are Mary's Choice, A New Model for Biblical Motherhood, and Breaking Open, The Myths of the Pro-Life Movement. Each of these resources are dedicated to anyone who needs to hear a biblical Christian perspective on the morality of supporting reproductive health options for all people. Through discussion questions and accessible language, these resources are a part of our Soul Force Spirit Resource Library. They're designed to support you and your communities in building a justice-centered relationship to faith and religion founded on the principle of promoting abundant life for us all. There's a link to both of the resources in the show notes. Be sure to check those out. You can learn more about Pro-Choice North Carolina at prochoicenc.org, and they are ProChoiceNC on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. This Go With Grace episode is written and produced by me. Hideo Takui at Achillebo Production is the sound designer and editorial advisor for the season. Theme song by me, additional music by Poddington Bear, One Man Book, and Blue Sky Moon. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, please rate and review. It really helps new listeners find this podcast, and we'd love to know what you think. You can email me at grace at soulforce.org, and we are soulforce.org on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We'd love to connect. Until next time, go with grace, my friends.